Hey, I'm Sean Durkin, writer-director of The Iron Claw, and had a great time on Territory Marks. Welcome, everybody, to Territory Marks. Today is an interesting episode. It's not our typical one. In fact, it's our first ever interview with the writer and director of the upcoming A24 biopic about the Von Erich family, The Iron Claw, Sean Durkin. Paul, this was a pretty interesting interview, wouldn't you say? I think it was pretty interesting indeed, while not giving away anything, no spoilers in this interview, but we did get behind the scenes with Mr. Sean Durkin, writer-director of The Iron Claw. We're very excited about this interview, and we look forward to sharing it with you all. Yeah, guys, uh, so here's the deal. We had Sean Durkin on the show. Next week, David Manning, who is the world-class championship wrestling referee and booker, uh, will be joining us on the show. And then we're following that up with a special episode of Territory Marks. So we're devoting this whole month. You're getting three episodes right. of Territory Marks uh, in one month, which is really special. And, you know, for Sean to sit down with us was great for a short period of time to talk about his movie, his history with wrestling, what some of his favorite matches were of the Von Eriks. You know, you're going to hear it all and some cool insight that maybe you haven't heard before. It was really neat. It was really neat. Uh, not just from a wrestler standpoint, seeing a director uh, who along with, I think, Darren Aronofsky truly hit the nail on the head in terms of finding who wrestlers really are, who professional wrestlers really are. And I, I just, I really enjoyed it. It was a real, a real pleasure for us. And well, we hope you all enjoy it. A24's The Iron Claw comes out Friday, December 22nd. If you're a fan of the Von Erich family, professional wrestling, compelling stories, 80s nostalgia. It has it all. And you know what else has it all? Our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash $2 late fee for more 80s nostalgia content. So without further ado, ring that bell and enjoy writer, director, Sean Durkin. World Class. Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Fee presents Territory Marks with Paul London and Zach Schaefer, the show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling, from one man who lives it and another man who loves it. My co-host and I, Paul London. Hello, sir. Paul London is is a former uh, WWE wrestler, professional wrestler, actor extraordinaire. <laughs> it's an honor to have you on our show to talk about the Iron Claw. Thanks, it really man. is. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Uh, wow, I was blown away. Can I just say right off the bat, uh, where the wrestler, I was crying at the end in your film. I was, I'm, I'm even thinking about it now, but I was, I was crying in multiple points throughout. And I don't know if Zach had noticed, but I was kind of hiding. <laughs> so I was just like, <laughs> and uh, don't hide, cry, cry freely. That's the message. No, it, 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 you're right. <laughs> it, it, you know, and it wasn't even. I mean, in the first moment, like I can think to the the moments in films that I always start crying at, and in this, it was. Uh, it was early on, but it was actually, it was that first date scene with Kevin and Pam. Cause it was just like, she saw him 
she saw who he really was and he wasn't used to that. And so I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over oh, the place. I'm you. just so excited. No, no, I, 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 I absolutely loved this film thank and you. it affected me. And so thank you. That means a lot. Mr. Durkin. Thank you. That's it. We're done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, this is seemingly your third film. I re- I just, I just finished watching uh, Martha Marcy. Okay. So I'm, I, without having seen uh, your other film, I'm wondering if that also involves some sort of a cult structure. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you, you might be able to argue that it does, but uh, my, it's also, yeah, it's also about a family uh and it's it's a it's about a family who uh lives a specific kind of life uh that is you know foreign to most people who watch it so yeah um, yeah there's definitely definitely a through line of investigating families and 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 why we why we believe questioning why we believe what we believe and and why families believe what they believe I love John Hawks so I'm just anything and I must say I'm a big Brady Corbett fan as well since That's funny awesome. games Loved funny games. Um, so Brady Corbett was great. And I saw um, a bit of the short. I was running out of time. Mary last scene. And I thought, oh, there's Brady Corbett again. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, I would have liked to see him in this film. But uh, yeah, just absolutely blown away from, from the standpoint of a professional wrestler, the emotion that you touched on without it being a gimmick and without it being, you know, uh, breaking kayfabe i mean right keeping it real i mean that's one of the things i love about nacho libre as silly as that film is it it keeps it real within the context of the film and right. so that's something that i absolutely loved in addition to just countless things um i loved how you opened up in black and white uh to signify the times um i mean it was, it was beautifully shot I could go on and on. I'm going to let Zach talk for a little bit so I don't embarrass myself. <laughs> I'll pick you back on what Paul's saying that obviously our podcast focuses on the territory era of wrestling, the 80s, and we are huge world-class championship wrestling fans. We grew up watching the product, obviously follow the wrestlers and their careers. And I think most wrestling fans know the story of the Von Erichs, how tragic it is. Non-wrestling fans, which I think you're going to bring a lot of those into this movie, uh, are going to see this picture of a family, what it takes on your not just your physical body, but your mental body as well. So I know you, you've probably spoken about this before, but what inspired you to do a movie about the Von Erichs? Well, I was just um, I was such a wrestling fan as a kid. like, And, and for me, uh, wrestling was probably the first place where I both learned to express myself and also began storytelling. So I was, uh, became a fan in the late eighties. Um, and really like late eighties, early nineties, I was, it was everything to me. I mean, I was obsessed and I was living in England. So it wasn't like it was super big there. It wasn't, you know, I had, I had to, I had to dig to find it, you know, and I had to, so there was, obviously WWF on TV a little bit, but not, not even a ton, you know, and, and right. WCW was starting to come out on TV there. And, and, but, but beyond that, I would just like search for old tapes with, you know, old NWA matches and, you know, probably came across, you know, a, a copy of Parade of Champions. And, um, but I do, but I remember seeing the Sportatorium for the first time on one of those NWA 
you know, compilation best of matches, you know, would have seen Freebirds and Von Erichs at the Sportatorium. And there was just something about it. There was something about them. There was something about that place. And, um, you know, people people ask that that question of like, if you could time travel, where would you go? And right. it turns out my answer is 1983 Sportatorium. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you really quickly, and, and this isn't spoiling anything. It's, it's simply the fact that the Sportatorium is no longer there and you recreated it. Um, I mean, Magic of Hollywood. Did you did you build did you build a whole sportatorium, or what did you do? We, we did. We actually so we we went on a pilgrimage to the to the land to the Holy Land, and we stood on the grass there, and we you know saw how it sat against the city, or would have at one point. And yeah, we just we just wanted to you know we 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 collected every photo we could, every bit of video. You know, we just wanted to get the details, and we it, we thought it'd be kind of easy we were shooting in louisiana and we thought it'd be kind of easy to find like you know it's like essentially a warehouse right you yeah. know it, how hard can that be but it was <laughs> really really difficult and um nothing quite felt right or it either felt too new or too finished you know it was we, we could never quite get it right and and anyway my my designer finally found this place that was a furniture showroom um and we went in and it was like filled with fake living rooms Okay. <laughs> and he was able to like look up perfect feeling and see and get a sense of space. And he's like, he's like, it's it's it. This is it. And so we convinced them to let us knock down, take out all the furniture, knock down all the walls. <laughs> we we had this open space and it was perfect. And then um and the end and the entryway, uh, you know, we did what we could and we did a little VFX with that, but basically everything inside was was built and it was fully functional. Like you could walk from the living room, uh, the, the locker room through the ring to outside. Um, yeah, that's wow. crazy. I, I think, I, I think obviously non-wrestling fans will automatically think of people like Hogan, Flair, Austin, the rock, et cetera, et cetera. The big names, right? The, the Mount Rushmore type wrestlers, if you, if you will, uh, for mainstream fans, but for people who grew up on the product, people who watched, you know, cable feeds that wouldn't come through all the way or whatever, uh, they're going to get glimpses of Carrie Von Erich, then glimpses of of Bruiser Brody. They're going to get glimpses of, you know, Kevin, obviously. And, right. Gino and his habits. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you you <laughs> captured there, there's there's a documentary called Heroes of World Class that I've constantly shouted out. I think it's a it's a it's a remarkable documentary that really covers the whole history what you were able to capture in two hours was a very daunting task so obviously you Absolutely. had to remove things that didn't keep the flow of the movie going can you speak a little bit about that definitely i mean you know the, the hardest decision i've ever made as a writer was choosing to not depict chris um and it, you know and and i wrote the script for seven years so you know wow. when you when when i start the process I have a, a a base knowledge, you know, from my childhood and just from general wrestling knowledge. And then I, I lay out, do a lot of research and lay out sort of every story point I can pull from every interview, everything I've read um, and build a timeline of events of this family. And it's way too much to ever fit in a movie. No. Uh, and so, so begins, you know, the, the journey of finding the core of the story and, you know, the shining light is Kevin and his survival and his outlook on life and the way he rebuilt and the way he talks so openly and so emotionally about his darkest days and his 
great times with his brother and his love for his family and 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 all all of that and so that became the focus of the movie so every decision basically was about how to service that being the core of the story and you know chris was in there for a long time um and it was yeah when it became apparent that from a storytelling perspective you know not on a human level because you can't say this on a human level because it is what it is but 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 from a storytelling standpoint there's a, a repetition in the tragedy in the way the three brothers who killed themselves died and it was sort of hurting the chances of the movie being made it was hurting the chance like it was really hurting the storytelling in a way and so i had to make the very painful decision to not show him and uh but but did take you know some things i'd learned about him and put them into the character of mike and so in some ways the character of mike becomes a bit of chris a bit of mike oh that's interesting no we noticed that because i thought oh my god i didn't know mike was such a you know mm. and uh so I, I i thought that was extremely i thought that was wonderful actually when i read that that's what happened in terms because i was curious about chris as well so when I understood the reasoning and then saw the elements of him were infused into the Mike character, because, you know, I think from a public standpoint, you know, we didn't really get to know much of anything, yeah. uh, especially about Mike. Right. And all we really have are sadly, you know, a lot of the interviews post uh, the, the, the toxic shock. Yeah. You know? So it, it, it's, it's extremely disheartening. And so I, that was one thing that I, I absolutely, um, I think, allowed me to become just so uh trusting and vulnerable with your story was just that i really I, it was easy to care about these people and we had so many good reasons to yeah and even though you know where it's headed um you, you know and i and i i credit the acting absolutely i mean to me my favorite was at the whole mccallany was as perfect a casting for Fritz as possible to me, he was yeah. kind of the spine, the spine of the film. Um, for me personally, I thought he was just outstanding. Um, mind you, I've been a fan of his since Creep Show too. So <laughs> this is <laughs> true. This is true. Yeah, I actually just <laughs> left a message on his post saying, "You've come a long way from Sam White Moon." and i want to i want to follow up with uh how you capture certain things Mm. and with a question about the music because period pieces to me either live by the sword die by the sword when it comes to music you live by that sword because you captured those moments you know there's not a i think rush has a huge following but it's more of a cult following i think uh cult word again well, I did think it's less of a mainstream band than, say, I don't know, Van Halen, so to speak, right? But but equally talented. I'm sure listeners will be like, "What did you just compare them to?" <laughs> but uh, but 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 Rush being like the big hook, obviously, it's Carrie's theme song that brings him to the ring. Can you talk a little bit about the music choices and the music selections you made? Yeah, I mean. I, I tend to sort of build a playlist as I write the script, and that was number one. You know, if it was like if I had, you know, if I ended up having the budget for one song, that was going to be it. Both because it was Carrie's, but also because of what Carrie brought to the ring. You know, um, I wanted that energy when Carrie enters that that's their pinnacle. Them together, you know, he he brought a different thing, and and I wanted to have that that you know full wrestling montage i wanted like a great sports movie montage and just the so it was important to have the song for for the story but also for the for the for the vibe of 
the height of the movie and it was, you know, important to the texture of the movie. Well, I will say too, the score that you have in it is very reminiscent of Explosions in the Sky, that that uh, mm. instrumental band. And it had those shades of Friday Night Lights, which I thought was a terrific score as well. So I don't want to diminish the score by Richard Reed Perry by any means also. Thanks. Yeah. The score starts off very, I mean, I think I, I mentioned it to Zach. I was like, I, I hope this is like A24's <laughs> music. Or this is a sign of bad things to come, <laughs> like right off the bat. Yeah, we, we wanted to have both like uh, a really classical, like operatic score. Yeah. And then we also wanted there to be, you know, um, a bit more like rock and roll, like, you know, when the brothers are together. And so, and, and to have those things collide, which is what the movie's very much about. It's like about generations colliding. And, and so that was all really important. And then also the original song, you know, the song that Mike plays, that's an original song written by the composer. Wow. Yeah. For, so, so for, for the movie. And so, um, and actually there's some score pieces in the movie that are renditions of the song broken down. And so, so the, so the, the, the original song is also kind of a part of the score as well. So you, oh, wow. you answered the question I had in my head, cause I was going to ask you <laughs> yeah. about that. You know, obviously, we don't want to spoil anything for the movie hasn't come no, out I'm yet. I'm trying so hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> I might have already. I, hope not. I, I do have, we do have a couple questions from fans, listeners, uh, specifically to you. The Kevin Von Erich Archive is a is an Instagram page and it's got a huge following. And obviously, it's a fan of the whole Von Erich family, but specifically Kevin Von Erich. Uh, they want to know who your all time favorite Von Erich is. <laughs> If you had to pick one, I love them. I love them all equally for their own <laughs> for their own individuality. That's um, fair. I, you know, I I think when I go back to you know how how it all started, the image of Kevin flying off the top rope barefoot really captured me. You know, that was one of the first things I remember about seeing those guys. Um, but. Uh, yeah, but but then, you know, I got to see Carrie live a few times in WWF. And so, you know, and, and in some ways, when I read about his death, I think that is what, you know, hit me, you know, in the in the heart, you know, and, and right. you know, and even now I've spent so much time with the whole family, um, you know, we've got, gotten to know all the kids and, you know, could put, could yeah. put Lacey Bonner up there with my favorite Von Erics too, so... <laughs> That's a very nice way to answer it. Yeah, they'll have you out to Hawaii hopefully soon enough. That'd be nice to. Uh, no, I think that was part of Kevin's just wherewithal and awareness, and really says a lot about him that he kind of took his family and just took them out of the situation. And that you know, I know Ross and Marshall from working with them in Japan, and they're great guys, and it's it's amazing to see how Kevin has brought them up. Um, but allowed them to be their own men at the same time, you know, yeah. because whether there was talk of a curse or not, you know, I don't know, but it, uh, you certainly wouldn't think it from looking at how Kevin lives his life and how he opens up his family and just the love that he shares. So, so openly. Absolutely. And it's to me, that's, that's, that's Kevin. Yeah. 
when you also you you do such a great job of of showing perseverance through pain mm. and how we all I said this we said this to David Manning earlier today the referee of world class championship wrestling for and Booker and Booker <laughs> I, and an amazing storyteller as well um we all go through levels of tragedy we all go through levels of of heartache and how you weather that storm how you are able to pick yourself back up not everybody does um this miraculous story i've said this many times people said tell tell me about iron claw tell me about iron claw and i said it's everything you would expect from such a tragic story, but there is an uplifting piece to it as well. A reminder that you can go on, you can move on, you can never forget, but always move forward. And I think you, you captured that beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I think that is, it is what drew me to it, you know, it, it's, and, and I think it's like Ke- Kevin's heart is at the heart of this movie, you know, the right Kevin and, and, uh, the way that he talks about surviving and, you know, it's, uh, you know, like the, the, the curse here, obviously like, you know, there's no real curse, but right. The, the curse is, is to not face your emotions, to, to hide them, to put them down, to not embrace them and to think that you can just push through the pain without dealing with it. And, you know, Kevin survived because he dealt with it. He's open about it. And he right. uh, is open about, you know, his darkest days and his, you know, brightest days. And it's it's the way he talks about it is very, very beautiful. And I think that, you know, that that's really, really at the center of the story and, and, and what, you know, was the guiding light in all of those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I forgot I was in, and I rarely do this, but I forgot I was watching Zac Efron there for a minute and well, for most of it. And, you know, I, I, I'm curious about the casting, you know, what did you have uh, people in mind already? Was that, were they suggestions? How did, how did, what, what can you tell us about the casting? Cause they, I thought the core was, I thought they were great. I thought they were great. I mean, I've wanted to work with them all for a long time. So they're sort of a dream cast for me. You know, I think in some ways Holt was maybe one of the first concrete ideas. I mean, um, I just felt like he could be Fritz. And I thought, you know, this movie lives and dies on Fritz because if you don't get Fritz right, everything else loses credibility. Right. And so he's the fabric of the movie. And then, um, you know, but Zach is obviously the center of the film and, 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 and everything is built around him. And, um, you know, I just, I've been such a fan of his for so long and he just does so many different things. And I just, uh, I'm always drawn to whatever he does, whether it's comedy, musicals, like, so I've wanted to work with him. I've always wondered how he'd feel in one of my worlds. And he's also, you know, he's also hungry to do good work. He's unafraid to try things. And that's always what I'm looking for in an actor is someone who's, you know, willing to, 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 to go for it. Well, he goes for it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Paulette is a listener of the show as well, and she wanted to know any particular matches that stood out to you in the Von Erichs uh, career mm. that you used as inspiration for this movie. Yeah. Um, so we actually we actually depict a couple that are 
sort of loosely based on real matches. Uh, there, there's a there's a Kevin Harley race match, and I love that. I love the real match of that. I think it's you know it's it's amazing match. Same. And it's 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 a you know it's a big moment in all in all of their careers. Uh, uh, and uh, so so you know the the challenge was how to take that and sort of be true to the match, but use it for the narrative that that we needed to use it for for Kevin. Yeah. You know? And the same with the you know the the Ric Flair, which is was a was a, a more a loose adaptation of what that match really was but but in in a way that that moment of kevin losing it and using the claw and getting ripped off rick flair you know that was that was also something that's you know sort of adapted from a, a real match and so um yeah the, those are sort of like the, the the pillars for kevin nice well we we are focusing this whole month on the von Eriks, and we are covering matches specifically from from the time they were together and and some of the more lesser known ones, like when David Von Erich wrestled um, uh, Jimmy Garvin for a valet for a day. Yeah. You've never <laughs> oh, seen that. Yeah. You got to check it out because yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. But quickly, the the last time I saw the the Freebirds depicted on screen was in Highlander, you know, and uh, and so <laughs> what you did on screen with the and I sat right behind. Um, uh, the guy who plays Terry Gordy, Paul oh, Silas. He's a good friend uh, of mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, Silas yeah. is great. I thought uh, was Silas wonderful. is great. He brought the belt to Dallas, and uh, he's like, "I look like a fool." I go, "No, man, you're the only person in this building that has a belt around their a strap <laughs> on their shoulder. You look like the man, you know." So <laughs> that was great. I'm glad I didn't bring my belts into the screener yesterday. I would have felt like a fool. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, Paul. Paul's a two time champ right now. So <laughs> yeah, there's one right there. Oh, beautiful. And yeah, he's a Compton other. champion. Oh wow! And, uh, there, there's my Arizona title right there. So you know, I really just, I really just did all of this so that I could hold belts in the ring. I mean, that's. I mean, they're heavier you than go. you thought, probably. Right? They're a yeah. bit heavier than you think, you know. And <laughs> that's a, That's all this was. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, I won't hold it against you that I wasn't in your film, but uh, <laughs> we might just meet in person one day, and uh, I'll show you those tapes because I felt pretty good about my flair. <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys thank you Sean thanks Sean take care go see The Iron Claw in theaters Friday December 22nd thanks again to A24 for all that you've provided to Territory Marks the song you're listening to is featured in The Iron Claw Live That Way Forever by Little Scream and Richard Reed Perry Richard Reed Perry is also the composer of The Iron Claw Thanks again for listening to Territory Marks. If you like what you hear, then consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at it, head on over to our Patreon, too. The link is in our show notes. And if you want more 80s nostalgia, go check out my tag partner, Zach, and our Terry Bam Bam of Ballyhoo, Dustin, over at $2LateFee.com, where the faces always win, even in the territories. 
Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.